Amen. All right, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter number 4. And our text primarily will be verses 26 and 27. However, I'd like to begin reading verse 26, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter in verse 32. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26, reading through verse 32. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words, Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Our subject this morning is be ye angry and sin not. Be ye angry and sin not. Uh, Without question, uh, you have probably at one time or another read Ephesians 4 verses 26 and 27 and maybe at one point or maybe even today may have been confused about what it actually means. Uh, Many Christians, believers throughout many, many generations, uh, centuries in fact, have offered varying opinions of what the Apostle Paul meant here. Uh, Paul, what he is not saying He is not saying that one can be angry as long as they don't sin. This is not meant to be a permissive blanket statement. In other words, that's not the interpretation. Paul's not saying that you can be angry all that you want as long as you don't sin. That's that's not what this is. But what Paul is saying is that there are certain things that it is acceptable to be angry about as long as you do not sin in your anger and you do not give a foothold to Satan. Therein lies man's biggest problem, is how can we be angry and not sin? Uh, It is difficult, to say the least. Uh, Oftentimes we say anger is justified. We say my anger is righteous. My anger is correct because such and such did this to me or this particular thing has happened. Anger, Paul is telling us here, is something that is an emotion that's been given to us. He's not denying that anger exists. It is something just like everything else. God has given us the emotion of anger. It's not something that just showed up because of who we are. It's one of the things that God has given us the ability to be angry. But what is it that we are to be angry about? Why did God give us the emotion of anger? And what should anger us are things that dishonor Him. What should anger us as believers are when things that He's declared to be good are declared to be wrong, or those things that are wrong are declared to be good. We know, in fact, even Jesus is recorded in the Gospels as becoming very angry about unrighteousness in the temple. Mark eleven fifteen through 18, when he went into the temple and he saw and he said, don't make my, my father's house a house of merchandise. He was angry at what he was seeing take place there. So the key to understanding what Paul is talking about today is to understand that our anger must be directed towards the thing and the things that God hates. This is not a permissive statement to just, it's okay to be angry as long as you don't sin. It is with the intent of calling us to avoid sin. And honestly, we ought to be angry towards sin. What ought to anger us, first and foremost, is our own sin. Now, it's easy to get angry in the society in which we live. Um, People are walking around angry. Believers are walking around with anger on their whatever face I can see with just 
almost just vicious anger. It's, it's happening to everybody. People are, people are angry. And yet some are saying, my anger is justified. My anger is righteous. But what is in fact what you're angry about? What are you so upset about? And the question is, are you angry at the thing that God is angry about? Are you anger, angry at something that's dishonoring to God? Or are you angry at something because it's something that's affecting you personally? There's a huge difference between what dishonors God and what makes us uncomfortable. Spiritual anger is very difficult for us to discern the difference between am I being angry without sinning just because of our own nature? Oftentimes, anger is explained away saying I had a reason to be angry, but we have to be faithful in holding to what anger really is and what sin really is. If we sin in our anger, that is a violation or an abomination to God. It is not something to be taken lightly. Oftentimes we hear people say, well, that's just the way that nature of that person. They're just an angry person by nature. Their dad was angry. Their mother was angry. Their cousins were angry. They get that from grandpa's side, two generations removed. And that's what we say. I I don't have any control over my anger. You have control over it. It's what we choose. Do we choose the anger to be angry at the things that God is angered, angered by? Or are they the things that just simply anger us? Again, notice what he says. Be ye angry and sin not. Now again, I, am, I, do not, I don't say these things to try to impress you because I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew. So I don't want you impressed. Never even took courses in it. But I know that it does say that the words that Paul used... In the Greek, okay, these words be angry and sin not. Uh, The idea behind the anger also has the idea of trembling. Paul is quoting from Psalm 4 that says, Stand in all and sin not. Now, it doesn't look like a direct quote, but that's what he's quoting is Psalm 4 4. And the idea here of standing in all gives the idea of trembling or, or considering it to be something that is very significant. Now, in the Hebrew, the verb signifies that when we are angry, it is something that we are agitated or brought to trembling. The word sometimes, just in its simple terms, means to strive or to quarrel. It, it has the idea of all three of those things. Paul is alluding to the reality here that this anger, whether we're talking about Greek, we're talking about Hebrew, or we're talking about just the general idea, is that there is an anger that is not proper. In other words, we can sin in our anger. And I really think there's three main ways or three type of how we sin in anger. The first one is when our anger arises from something slight. In other words, we're angered at something that really is very small in the scope of life. And sometimes, have you ever found yourself actually being angry and you don't know the cause? I'm just mad. I'm just angry. You don't know why. I'm just angry. Or maybe it's from somebody lightly offended you. Um, I don't know how you're going to live in this world without being offended. If, if you've not been offended in the last 24 hours, I don't know where you've been. You're, you're, you are going to be offended uh, daily. But every offense against your person shouldn't bring you to anger. Everything you read and disagree with shouldn't bring you to anger. Every other opinion shouldn't change your mind and bring you to anger. These are slight things. The second type is when we go beyond the proper bounds that God gives us. And sometimes our anger, we've heard this said, our anger gets the best of us and it moves us into something that's very excessive. And sometimes people describe it as something very explosive. It turns into something over something that goes beyond the bounds of God. Remember, God has given us some boundaries to be angry. Okay? Paul is not saying you can't be angry. He's not saying that you can be angry as long as you don't sin. He's just saying there is a boundary that God is putting here and how this anger ought to be used. The third way is when our anger, which should have been directed towards ourself, is directed towards someone else. This this is the high watermark for most of us. Who you really should be angry at is yourself, not another person. 
Because oftentimes we're more angry at someone's offense to us than we are about the sinful demonstration of anger we're displaying. We say, I'm right in my anger because this person offended me. That's not one of the boundaries. That's not one of the boundaries God has set to say, listen, if you're offended, you can get angry. No, Jesus basically told his disciples, you're going to be there. You are going to be, people are going to offend you because of me. He didn't tell the disciples, strike back at every single person who opposes you. He didn't say, listen, you have a right to retaliate in anger. There's a part of Peter in the garden when he pulled out that sword and, and cut off Malchus's ear. He was doing that in anger. And the Lord puts, picks the ear and puts it back on. He did not want Peter to respond in anger. And yet, we oftentimes, and maybe, maybe more than any other sin that we can find ourselves, maybe other than pride, finding ourselves saying, well, my anger is justified. If you see again in verse 26, it says, be, sin, be angry and sin not. Uh, this, the, the common usage, if we just take away all of, the, uh, all of the Greek and all the Hebrew and all the things and just read it, okay? Just read it for what it says. Be ye angry and sin not. And then go on and read the rest of it. And let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It, just in common language, here is, here is what this means. This is what ought to be conformable to the common usage. That if anger arrives... If you have anger in your person, that there should be reconciliation before the sun sets. That's about as direct as it gets. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't overthink this. The idea, that's the very common direct usage. So what does this tell us? This tells us that there is possible, there quote unquote, may be anger without sin. You might actually have a time in your life, Paul says, where actually anger is without sin. But there's a danger with that. That means that there is a danger in every case where anger arises because oftentimes anger is going to be accompanied with sin. The last time I was angry, like not, not just like fuming anger, but just angry, just... <laughs> I don't even know how to say this. Simple anger, I sinned. I sinned in my, my, my thoughts. I sinned in my, what I was thinking towards someone else. I, that was a simple thing. And looking back on it now, I'm like, that, was a, that was like a private offense. It was really, really small. Yet I sinned in my anger towards that individual. It was something very small. So what is anger? Anger is... It's an excitement and agitation of our mind. Anger is the result of either a real or a perceived injury. And it often is accompanied with a desire for revenge. You did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. You, we don't realize how quick the revenge factor rises up in our mind when we're offended. The first thing we think about is not reconciling and forgiving. The first thing is payback. That's just brutal honesty. Again, some of you might be on a different spiritual level and maybe you've conquered this and you say, no, the first thing is I'm going to reconcile and forgive them. But you're doing fantastic if that's where you are. But for most of us, that's where we are. You did me wrong. I'm going to find every way to exact the same amount of justice out of you that you pulled out of me. That's often what's at the heart of anger. The desire for revenge, for payback, is not essential to the existence of sinful anger. In other words, if you say, I was angry, but I didn't want revenge, that doesn't mean that your anger wasn't sinful. Oftentimes we associate that I was mad, but I didn't want to get back at them. That doesn't mean it's not without sin. It's, it's possible to simply have an existence of anger that simply does nothing more than expresses displeasure, but yet it's something that doesn't, is not attended with revenge. Now, there's, there's one example, again, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant only in this manner to use some examples of what Christ did, because I'm not trying to associate us with the same ability that Christ had. But in Mark chapter number three, I want you to notice Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. And 
the, the emphasis on the story is our eyes and our mind go towards the withered hand and the man being healed. But Jesus says something about hardness of a man's heart. Look at verse number one of Mark 3. He entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. We see the, the back story here. These, the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus on the crime of healing on the Sabbath day because the Pharisees were the holy and righteous uh, who never did anything wrong. Their whole, their whole plot was to find a reason to accuse Jesus. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. The Bible clearly says that Jesus was angered by something. What was he angered by? The hardness of their hearts. Now we're getting into the things that anger God. The things that make God angry. Here's an example, the hardness of a heart. Notice that's made mention of before he ever heals the man with the withered hand. That's important. So Jesus is demonstrating here that even through himself, he shows us that there, are, there is this anger. But what is he anger, angry about? Anger is often the result of sudden excitement, of the acknowledgement that something has happened to me. And folks, most times this happens so quick, you don't even know what happened. It's almost involuntary. Someone does us wrong and immediately our idea is just to strike back at the, before we have time to even reason, does this even make sense? It's kind of like when you hit yourself, you hit your thumb with a hammer. Right? I don't know about you, but I hit my, I hit my thumb with a hammer. I get, I, it makes me mad. Before the pain ever hits, I'm mad that I hit myself with a hammer. And then the pain comes. And oftentimes, between the combination of the pain of hitting my thumb, the sin comes right after that. And if you're like me, you blame the hammer. Stupid hammer. The hammer didn't swing itself. You hit your own thumb. See, this is that displaced anger we talk about. We get mad at somebody else when the anger ought to be directed at ourselves. It's not them that the problem lies. The problem lies within you. How I'm responding to that anger. Is this worthy? Is this something that God would be angered about? And folks, I'm telling you, we are surrounded on every side that we somehow believe that everything is an offense to us and everything needs to be responded to, and it just doesn't. Some of this is just very practical life stuff. It's like, why are you so angry over something so small? Well, if you were in my shoes, you'd understand, Pastor. We all have shoes that we're wearing, and we're all in situations where we're being faced with offenses. And how we respond to those offenses. Anger is often excited when a man or a woman raises their hand to strike us. The very cause of that passion in our mind is because we immediately want to defend ourselves. Now again, remember who Paul was talking to. Paul was talking to these groups of Gentiles and Jews who were now worshiping together. He's talking about offenses that were going to happen between them. This is not some random topical sermon that Paul's getting where he just says, oh, today's topic is anger. He, this is in real life worship and real life church life that you are going to get angry with one another. And if you do, don't sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Notice he connects anger and wrath. Imagine how unnerving that would be to be in a congregation of people that was marked by its anger towards one another. Sadly, this happens more than you want to know. 
And yet, that's what Paul is is talking about here. Anger always prompts some sort of self-protection. I get mad because I'm trying to protect myself or my interests, right? That's what I'm most angry about. I'm angry that you, my self-interest is at the heart of this. We know that anger always becomes sinful, okay? There, the Bible doesn't make any, any plan for this, that any anger that is accompanied with a desire for revenge is always sinful, there's nowhere scripture you can show, you can point out that says anger with revenge is okay. The Lord himself said, I will avenge. We're, we have not been given the right to seek out revenge. Again, you might say, but you don't know what happened to me. I don't know. I'm just telling you, scripturally speaking, you and I do not have the right to respond in revenge. So anger may be against a thing or it may be against a person right? Something wrong happens, a wrong thing happening in society, a wrong thing happening in the church. And we can hate something and be angry at something that is a wrong thing without any hatred towards a person. However, it's difficult for us not to be angry or hate something that does not affect some sort of injury happening to a person, right? It may, we may be angry at a thing, but it may often lead to being angry towards a person. So when can anger be sinful? Kind of pulling some of these things together. Anger can be sinful when it's excited without really any sufficient cause. When we're not in any real danger. There's no real need for protection. There's no real need for anything to happen. Anger's not going to help the situation. I mean, have you ever been thinking that your anger is going to make it better? I've thought highly of myself before, thinking me being angry about this is going to make the situation better. I have yet, really, to find a situation I can point back in my life and say that at that time when I got angry, that I actually made the situation better. I can't name one. Now, we're supposed to be angry towards things that offend God. The problem is, is has, has there been things in my life that offended God? Yes, I didn't get angry at those things. I got angry at the things that affected me. What Paul is saying is, says, don't be so concerned about your own offenses and your own afflictions towards yourself. Be angry towards the things that anger God. And even if you are angry towards those things, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. So we have this this. this sinful anger that can arise. When our anger exceeds the cause of the anger, then it's the cause that we're really mad at. Maybe that cause really is there. But anything that goes beyond what God has put in boundaries is really sinful anger. Anger is sinful when it's against the person rather than the offense. Listen, when somebody sins, folks, and people are going to sin against us, We have to figure out biblically how to be angry at their sin and not be angry at the person. And that's really hard. It's hard to separate the person from the sin. But what really ought to anger us is the the sin, not the person. Our sin should should be against the offense, not against the person. Why? Because anger that's directed towards the person is often accompanied by the desire to injure. It's out of revenge. I'm striking back with the intent of injuring. Or with the intended desire of revenge. Revenge and anger is always wrong. Romans 12, verse 17 through 19, Paul wrote to to the church at Rome about this. Romans 12, verse 17 through 19 This is in the context of the portion of chapter 12 where Paul is dealing with overcoming evil with good. And he writes in verse 12, it says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, giving to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. By the way, Paul is actually quoting the Sermon on the Mount there. We've been learning about that on Wednesday nights. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, 
but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide all things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Do not, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So anger can become sinful when it is attended with revenge. We shouldn't have to say this with a group of believers, but anger becomes sinful when anger actually becomes cherished. What that means is that becomes your calling card. That you take pride in the fact that you're an angry person. Now, I don't know how believers get here, but I've seen it where that actually becomes what they're about. Anger is their cherished possession. They have the right to tell everyone why they're right in their anger. They constantly justify, this is why I'm angry. Instead of just following the word of God that says, is this anger directed towards something that God hates or is this something that is part of your self-defense? Anger is also always sinful when there's an unforgiving spirit. This one's really hard. The problem is, is when, when we're offended, when somebody offends us, we have two problems. We have to keep from sinning and we have to be willing to forgive. When we read verses like we read at the end of Ephesians 4, I, I joke every time this verse comes up because I remember, and again, I'm not going to use them as an illustration, but I remember when both the girls were little, this was a verse that was always something that they learned. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's an amazing how many believers miss that verse. It's like Ephesians 4.32 doesn't exist. What in the world happened to believers being kind to one another? What in the world happened to people saying, let's be tender-hearted and forgiving one another? Oftentimes, anger is associated also with an unforgiving spirit. And I'm telling you now, if you're not willing to forgive someone, you're still angry at them. So that sin is still in existence. You cannot be un- have an unforgiving spirit and say, I'm not angry. That's the very reason why you're angry. And you won't forgive. And why are we to forgive? Because we were offended or we weren't offended? No. You're to be forgiving, kind, and tenderhearted because Christ has forgiven you. That's the sole reason. This is not 20 points in a poem, folks. The reason you're supposed to be this way is because Christ has forgiven you. He has every reason in the world to be angry at your sin. He has every reason in the world to not forgive you. But he forgave you, again, as we learned this morning, God the Father provided the remedy for your problem. He forgave you for your sin. But yet we seem to think, I don't have to be forgiving. I'm justified in my anger, really. If Christ wasn't justified in his anger and he forgave you, but you are, it's amazing how high and holy we can get, isn't it? It's amazing in counseling situations where people say, well, I, I have every right to be angry. Is, would God be angry at this? And oftentimes you're angry because somebody offended you. And the reason you're still angry, the reason I'm still angry, is because I won't forgive not standing up here as an expert. I know what the Bible says, and it's not always easy. But yet, if we were truly holy people, if we truly understood what it was, the excitement or the agitation of mind that angry brings, instead of wanting to strike back, we would obey our reasons and we would have anger under control from the very moment it starts. Watch how quick anger rolls downhill. 
I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't just start. I mean, sometimes it just happens and it's right there before you know it. It's all the way, it's long gone down the tracks. It happens that fast. If we were truly able and were perfectly righteous like we say we are, then we would always obey the voice of reason. This is not worth being upset about. You know what? One of the worst things you can say to a person is don't be upset. <laughs> don't tell me what to be. Right? Or you say don't be angry. That, that's like throwing dynamite. I have every right to be angry. Really, is it within the boundaries of God? And again, those conversations don't go well. It just makes people more mad. But see, that's what's proving to us that it's very, very difficult for us to be angry and not sin. That's Paul's point. He's not saying you can't be angry. He's not giving you permission to be angry as long as you never sin. He's saying when anger comes, do not let that sin bring you to sinful anger. And if you are brought to anger, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. You know what that means? That means by the sundown of that day, you need to forgive that person you're mad at. So that means every day you go to bed mad at that person, you've already let the sun go down on your anger and you're an unforgiving spirit. That's not my words, that's what Paul is saying. You know, we all know this. It's to stew over it, it's to grow bitter over it, and it just gets worse. And again, I know I'm treading on really, really ground here that's different for everybody because people talk about this all the time well i'm a i'm a stewer i i I can't i can't figure this out right now i'm just telling that's what the bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger don't cherish it don't have an unforgiving spirit oftentimes the anger even if it's towards a thing or an offense often if it's allowed if it's allowed to grow often will lead towards a sinful thought towards that individual So let not the sun go down. It's the tendency of the human mind to do what's evil. Folks, we don't realize what our actual human tendency is. Our human tendency, even though we're in Christ, is still tends towards that which is evil. Anger is just a... We're going to go to the first thing that often is our nature. So Paul suggests that we should quickly suppress anger and do not allow it to gain strength. The longer it goes, the stronger it gets. The first remedy, Paul's literally given us two remedies here. Be ye angry and sin not. But he also understands that the greatest weakness of human nature renders that very difficult. That's why he goes on and gives us a practical example and says, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. If it was just as simple as be ye ye angry and sin not and leave it there, God wouldn't have added the second part of that. Let not the sun go down. He gives a very practical remedy for this. Now, this this doesn't always mean exactly at sundown, but it's a sufficient time. It's something that has the idea that there's the reality that do not let this become a stronghold in your life. Which is why he's going to talk about giving place to the devil. Giving place to the devil is not a random verse out of context. It's in the context of what he's talking about. You want the devil to get a foothold in your home. You want the devil to get a foothold in the church. Let anger go unchecked. Watch what Satan does to a home where anger is left unchecked. That's Satan getting a foothold in your house. And by the way, this happens quick. And if there's, there's families here that know exactly what I'm talking about. There's individuals who know exactly what I'm talking about. We've been through that. Our family's been through this to where it it allows it for some reason, something continues too long, and before you know it, you look up, Satan's got a foothold in your house. I'm not talking some fairy tale, folks. It's happened in our home before where Satan's been allowed to get a foothold because we had an unforgiving spirit and anger took hold. Practically speaking, you wake up one day and you don't even realize that Satan had a foothold. And these principles are here not for us to say, well, what are my rights? No, these are here for what God tells us and they're also there for our protection. Let, us, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If at any time we are angry, 
We ought to endeavor to do everything we can to appease that anger, to remove it. Let not the sun go down has the idea of also don't cherish that anger. Don't sleep upon it. Don't harbor a purpose of revenge. I mean, imagine going to bed at night with revenge on your heart towards another person and waking up with that same desire for revenge the next day. There are people that go to bed every single day this way. Their whole purpose in life right now is they're mad at somebody. They go to bed with revenge on their mind. They wake up in the middle of the night thinking, how am I going to get revenge? They go back to sleep. They get up the next day and they say, now how do I exact that revenge? That's their entire lives right now. And I wish I could say that that's just, in, that's just, the, that's just the world. Folks, this is happening in believers' houses. Do not let, don't let your faith in Christ think that this can't happen to you. Or this can't happen to me. I have control over my anger. Maybe the right, the right agitation just hasn't gotten there yet. You see, this sudden excitement that comes on, this man's anger, oftentimes he thinks he's right in his anger. That's part of the problem. How do we even know our sin is right? If, you, if you're angry, Paul says, which certainly might be the case... The anger might be unavoidable. There are times when it's unavoidable anger, but do not let that sudden excitement of sin, don't let that sudden excitement of the mind become sinful. Don't let it go outside the proper bounds. Don't cherish it. Don't let it remain. An old commentator by the name of Albert Barnes said, though the sun be sinking in the west, let not the passion of anger linger in the bosom but let his last rays find you always peaceful and calm. It's a good quote. It's a good, it's a good, a good practical thought. Don't let it linger there. And then Paul connects that thought to never give place to the devil. Notice he says, neither give place to the devil. Paul's intention for the Jews and the Gentiles and for us was to guard us against allowing Satan to take possession of our minds. Once Satan gets possession in this arena, he basically does whatever he pleases. Folks, I, there has not been many times, and again, I'm not trying to be too personal, I'm not talking about anybody here today, but there's been too many times when someone comes and they say, we're having real problems inside of our house, we're having real problems with each other. It's very, very, it's very, very few times that it wasn't clear that Satan had a foothold in that house. In some level. And, and, and it's, it, it, when we see these verses, we forget about the reality of spiritual warfare. And you forget about the reality of Satan and his demons wanting to absolutely upset and destroy your testimony for God. Like this is just some kind of passing thing. Oh yeah, I believe there's a Satan and I believe that, yeah, he might show up. Everywhere. Do you realize he seeks, and he's, he is searching and seeking whom he may devour? He cannot, take, he cannot take your standing in Christ, but I'm telling you, He is wrecking believers' homes left and right. This is not some made-up make-believe. You, you, you folks are fighting an absolute spiritual battle to keep your homes intact. And you're not going to do this on your own. And you're not going to do this in your own human strength. Paul is giving us these protections because he's saying this is what the end result of uncontrolled anger is going to lead to. It's going to lead to Satan having a foothold in your house. And that, that environment of an unforgiving spirit amongst people, I'm telling you, if that's not the work of the devil, nothing is. To be unforgiving is, is, is the, clearly the work of devil. You put that with our own depravity, and you wonder why we have the problems that we have. Satan's going to take every opportunity for you to, cher to convince you to cherish that sin. He's going to take every opportunity for you to just say, listen, I'm these angry feelings. He wants resentment among the brethren. He wants us collectively to resent one another. He wants you to get mad at the person who sits in front of you. He wants you to cause a problem and we're going to get easily offended because somebody didn't tend to us the way that we thought we should be tended to. 
We begin to think, well, somebody doesn't think I'm too important. And we, we take offenses, and before we know it, we've got resentment building, and you've got people mad inside of a church who don't even know why they're mad. Resentment has been allowed to get a foothold. And oftentimes it's because there was unre- it was unrepented of anger that was allowed to be brought to sin. Most of our feelings are tied up in the fact of defending our rights. I think if I hear that term one more time in our society, I'm just defending my right. I'm just defending my right. Defending your right is not always the Christian thing to do. And I don't know where, I don't know where, I don't know where we went off the track that said you're defending your rights is your Christian responsibility. I don't know when and where it happened. All I keep reading about is, look, it is going to be a difficult time for you to live in this world because the world's running contrary to what your world's supposed to be. You're going to be at odds with everybody around you who's not a believer because they don't have Christ as their center. Why are we so mad at what the world is doing? What do you think they were going to do? Do you think they were going to look to you and say, you churches, what would you like for us to do to make you happy? No. Christians, what would you, how could, if we could make society better and more Christ-like, what would you have us to do? I don't know what you're waiting on or what you've read, but unless the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, awakens a nation and brings them to repentance and belief, the world and its systems is not going to come to the church and come to believers and say, what would you like the world to be so it's more palatable for you? But that also means that everything the sinful world does should not offend you to the point that you lose your testimony over it. <laughs> yes, that's offensive. But it, it doesn't mean I have to be brought to sinful anger over it. It doesn't mean that it's my responsibility to correct every wrong. Most of the wrongs we're trying to correct are not even spiritual things. We're trying to correct a corrupt world system and think that that corrupt world system is going to just adhere to what our Christian values are. Now, we should speak up. That's why every church in America that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ should stay open and they should keep preaching the truth and keep standing for the truth, but also remember that we have a responsibility to live a certain way too. We're losing sight of what it is to live the Christian life and to live as believers and live as a light in the world and the salt of the earth, not living as if we could blend in and nobody would know the difference. Like I said at the beginning, I don't know why believers are so angry right now. Are you angry at what angers God? Are you angry at something that's a personal offense to you? That's what the question is. Satan gets a hold. He gets a foothold. He gets the place. When we think we're defending our rights, our heart is deceitful, remember. And there's there's very few times that our heart will deceive us any less than when someone is trying to injure us or we're trying to get revenge. When you get mad, you can be assured that the devil and his angels are always working. Always working. What's the best way do we avoid the wiles and the tricks and the deception of the devil? It's to know what God's word actually says. Folks, you should not as believers, I should not as a believer be biblically illiterate. And your, your literacy in Scripture doesn't come from Sunday and doesn't come from Wednesday alone. This is something we have to, we've got to desire God's Word more than anything the world's trying to feed us. You read things from Christians and you're like, you're, you're the most hopeless person I've read today and you claim to know Christ. I ought to be giving people hope today, not bringing them down with all their woe and despair. Say, don't you see how bad things are? Yeah, I see how bad things are. But I also see how good Christ is. These are are moments where you and I as believers have an opportunity to shine the light of Christ, not be like the rest of the world. Wherever God's put you, be a light that shines. And it's easy. It's easy to get drawn into the fray. I understand this. 
That same commentator, Albert Barnes, said, No man sins by restraining his anger. No man is certain that he will not who indulges it for a moment. Another good one. You're not going to be guilty of sin if you restrain your anger. Paul's intention was primarily for us to be on guard. Resist the devil. Flee the devil. Don't yield up the possession of your own heart before him. Oftentimes, the poison of hatred has already found its way in the heart before you even realize it. The anger is just an outflow of what's already happened in the heart. Now, there is an anger which is not sinful. Anger is found in God and Christ. We see that. But true godly anger arises for a true zeal for God and His righteousness. Now, think about that. Godly anger arises out of a zeal for God's righteousness and holiness. It's not against persons, it's against sin. Listen, folks, I, there are things that our children, our grandchildren are going to face. Uh, us as parents and even some of the older parents here today and grandparents, I will guarantee you they never thought in their lifetime they would see the issues and the things we're having to deal with. I can assure you that. I can assure you, but I'm going to tell you right now, whatever sin those people are involved in, the gospel is still the remedy that they need to hear. And instead of hating people, please stop hating people and give them the gospel. You can say all you want. That type of behavior is disgusting. That behavior is awful. People shouldn't live like that. And we get so mad at it. We say, I also, I, I just, I, I can't stand it. But for the grace of God, you'd be in the same wicked depravity. Don't lose sight of the reality of who you really are. Folks, don't hate people. Hate the sin. Don't hate people. You say, but they're awful people. But for the grace of God, we're, we're awful people. And we're still not as good as we think we are. We still are in the comparison game saying, now that's a really bad person over there and here's this person. Oh, I'm, I'm nothing compared to them. What are you judging it by? Yes, we ought to hate the sin. I am not telling you to cave to society. I'm not telling you to cave to sin. But I'm also telling you, don't take it out on the people. Give them the gospel. Tell them the truth. You want to earn the right to talk to somebody. Live like somebody who actually believes what the gospel teaches. Standing out there telling people you hate and then wonder why they don't have any desire for Christ. I realize, I realize salvation is not from us. But you're not doing yourself any favor by living contrary to what God said. Now, these are tough things, folks. And I hope you understand this is not directed at you. This is directed at all of us. This is directed at we don't get led into that to say, you know, our job to now is just to hate everybody. I don't want any part of that. I'll be brutally honest. I don't want any part of that. And I've seen it done in the name of Baptist churches. And I, as long as I have any say it, there's no way this church could become a hateful church. I don't want to be hateful. But I'm also not going to accept sin when it's sin. Yes, I hate abortion. I hate it. Destroying the image of God. That young lady or that young man that go into that place and they, they, maybe they don't have a full understanding of what's going on. I'm not going to give his name, but there's a, there's a young man that was part of the church out in New England that he's, he's, he's over in Indiana now and he's, he's helping, he's talking through, he's using the light of Christ. He's using the light of Christ to try to show them that they don't have to take that step. You don't have to do that. And it's, 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 it's taking something so... He, and I see it. He, he, it's ten, he's so tender towards people. Now look, you can stand outside an abortion clinic and you can stand outside there and you can shout and scream in judgment. You can do all that. I'm not, not saying there's not judgment there, but I'm also telling you there's times when what people really need to see is they really need to see the love of Christ being demonstrated in your life. 
And I'm telling you, you stand outside of abortion clinic and you just yell baby murderer over and over and over again, you're not going to accomplish very much. It's a horrible sin. It's a horrible thing. I got it. But I also want you to understand that the reason that we would say it and do anything is because of the love we have for people. Yes, abortion makes me very angry. There's a lot in society that makes me very angry. And it's hard for me not to be angry and not sin against those people. It really is. And Paul wants us to be on guard against it. We comply with this anger and indignation against sin, but we also need to understand, don't give Satan any room or a foothold or opportunity to use you for evil purposes. And that kind of struck me when I thought about this week. How do I allow myself to be used for evil purposes just in the way I handle my anger? I'm telling you, a couple words spoke out of anger, you'll destroy the foundation of your house. Some of those words you'll never get back. And folks, we've, we've all been guilty. We've all been guilty of out of anger saying things we shouldn't have said. There's always forgiveness and there's always hope. There's always this. But I'm telling you, be cautious about how our anger is handled. This isn't a light subject today. This is, you know, this is one of those things that doesn't fall in the category of doctrine. But this is probably, this is as real as anything you're going to deal with this week. Paul says to this church, be on guard. Be careful that we're not just offended at something privately that's happened to us. Have the zeal for the glory of God be the reason why we do what we do. Any anger that arises after a period of time ought to be allowed to be removed. And it shouldn't be mixed with a desire for revenge. Before we pray this morning, I want to give you just this quick reading from James 1. Then we'll pray and I want to make one announcement before we go. But James chapter 1, look at verse number 19 with me. We'll kind of read this as a, as a benediction just to kind of seal some of these truths that we've already heard. And I read this again early this morning, and it's, it's a very uh, well-known portion of Scripture. James chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I think that's some great truth to remember as we leave here in just a moment.